be able to gather together to sing and to pray, to hear the word, to encouragement. It's good for our souls to do this. You might not, if you had a chance to be here this past week, either to donate or drop off something for our yard sale and, and saw the layout and maybe saw it on Saturday, you, it's hard to realize it's the same room. Um, there was quite a bit donated. Uh, all of those donations that were then sold at the yard sale, the contributions of that were going toward our student mission trip this summer. Uh, a number of students and adults are going to be uh, doing some service and work in the greater Boston area, and this yard sale was to help fund that or at least help bring some of the cost levels down. And through your donations and the things that you were giving to sell and the things that were sold, uh, the students and the adults who were working that this week and then on Saturday were able to raise $3,200. So thank you for the many ways that you contributed to that. Yep. Certainly a huge blessing, and we're grateful for it. I'm grateful for you willing to get rid of your stuff that you probably wanted to get rid of anyway. So it's a win-win, right, in so many ways. All right. Let's also look at another win. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We've slowed down a little bit in our series in, in the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're looking at the armor of God, and we're going one piece at a time. Ultimately, finding how this piece is directing us to Jesus, how Jesus is our shield. We just sang those words, and so we can run to him and find in him the one who will keep us and who is strong and kind. And we're going to consider that together today. We're going to look at verses 13 to kind of remind us again of what we're looking at in this section. And then verse 16 as we look at the next piece of armor, the shield of faith. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 16. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we pray that it would be a timely encouragement for our hearts, for our faith, that we would be strengthened. No matter how we might feel coming in here this morning, that we would be strengthened as we consider all that you are and all that you have done for us through Jesus. Now, may that be a timely encouragement for our souls. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. A shield is a powerful image. It conveys protection, strength, and trustworthiness. And it's part of the reason why so many businesses will use a shield as a basis for their logo. They want to convey to their, their audience, to their customer base or potential customers, that they are strong and trustworthy. The Bible uses a shield to convey to us the strength and trustworthiness of God as our means of protection from all kinds of troubles around and even the kinds of troubles within. For anyone who's with us this morning, feeling weak and vulnerable, feeling overwhelmed and afraid, feeling exhausted and cooked, my hope is that you will feel all the more encouraged to take up the shield of faith. To take up the shield of faith. To trust that Jesus truly is enough. As we consider the shield of faith this morning, I want us to think about it in these three ways. First, the shield of faith helps us understand how we are 
behind the protection of God. How our stability is located behind the protection of God. But also to understand uh, the reality in which the world in which we live, in the hearts that we have. That not only are we behind the protection of God, but we are also under the opposition of Satan. So we have a way of anchoring our lives in this world as one behind the protection of God and also under the opposition of Satan. And that, that all culminates, both of those ideas culminate in this third point that we will consider, and that is the shield of faith helps us see and understand that we are in the victory of Jesus. Behind the protection of God, under the opposition of Satan, in the victory of Jesus. Let's consider that. So first, behind the protection of God. The question then is, what is this shield of faith? What is this shield of faith? And we want to, I want to answer it in, in sort of looking at it in three ways. One is the object of the faith. And then secondly, the relevance of faith. And thirdly, the effectiveness of this shield of faith. So first, the object of the faith. Well, the object of the faith of Faith, this shield of faith, is God himself. In the Old Testament, the shield was always God himself. So whatever we say about faith, it's the object of the faith that is of the primary supreme importance. It's the object of the faith that is of primary importance. Look at, with me at Psalm 33. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We consider Psalm 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, trusts, and I am helped. Or Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. It's important to see that the shield of faith isn't a benefit of God or something outside of God, but God himself. The shield of faith isn't focused on these other things, though they are good, and God does bring them into our lives, the benefits of knowing God and being known by God. But that's not what the object of the faith is. It is God himself. And notice that the shield of faith isn't your feeling of faith. It's not actually about you. It's, it's actually about who God is. The shield is God himself. And this helps us see it's, it's more about whose you are and how he cares for you. So be encouraged to know that faith protects Not because of the intensity or passion by which we have it, but because of the power and presence of the object of it. Because our passions and our intensities are going to ebb and flow in life. We're going to feel near to God and feel far from God. And no point is that faith shaky. Because the object of the faith is where the power and the protection comes from, not the intensity of it. A weak faith 
is still strongly protected. A weak faith in this God is still strongly protected. One commentator put it this way. Faith protects us from Satan's attack because of what faith enables us to take hold of, namely the power and protection of God himself. It is the object of the faith that is of supreme importance, and it is God himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that makes it then very relevant. I mean, it's further brought out in our verse, in verse 16, but just that alone makes it very relevant. The relevance of faith is that it is in all circumstances that we're called to take up the shield of faith. In all circumstances. In fact, there are two alls in our verse, in verse 16. First is in all circumstances. That is, situations, circumstances, conditions of life. Now, in all of them, no matter what they might be, good days, hard days, joyful days, sorrowful days, days of great comfort and remarkable blessings and encouragements, or days of great discomfort and loss and hardships, in all circumstances, it says, take up the shield of faith. Means that this shield of faith, the object of our faith being God, our relationship with God, trusting in God, clinging to God, is relevant always. It's relevant for all of those circumstances. A couple of ways, a few ways that we can think of it. So one is, It's relevant in our daily circumstances. That faith, trusting that God is enough, resting behind the power and protection of God, that it is relevant daily. The mundane and the ordinary, it is relevant there. It is necessary there. So not only daily, but also those that are difficult. It's relevant in the difficult circumstances. We are especially and frequently encouraged in Scripture to see this shield in light of difficulties in this life. The overwhelming amount of usage of shield, in particularly in the Psalms, is mostly in very difficult and overwhelming situations. And so we find that this shield is relevant, not just daily, but also in those difficult seasons and hardships of life. When it says all circumstances, it also just simply means through all of life. That there is not an expiration date on the protection of God in this life. There's no, protect, there's no uh, expiration to, to when God will be that powerful protecting presence in the life of his people. It is through all of life to the very end. That's one of the alls in our verse. All circumstances. It's relevant in that. But it's also, the shield of faith is also effective because it tackles then the second all and that is all the flaming darts 
all the flaming darts. Sure and strong is the protection that Paul says you can extinguish the flaming darts. Not you might, not you might be able to, if, says you can. Again, it is not the strength of your faith, but the strength of that which your faith rests in, and that is God himself. And you can extinguish, that is, the flaming darts that are shot our way, shot toward our hearts, they are quenched. They are burnt out without burning you to the ground. All of them. Not some of them. Not many of them. Not most of them. But all of them. It's saying something more about the strength and powerful presence of God than it does about the intensity and the passion of our faith. When we think about the idea that all the flaming darts are quenched. This for the believer, for the one who is trusting in Jesus Christ, looking to him through faith, trusting that his life, his death, his resurrection are sufficient for your salvation, that there is no life or salvation outside of him. For that believer, for you, if that is true of you, you sit behind that level of protection, the, the relevant kind of protection through the daily and the difficult and the effective kind of protection. No expiration date and no, no flaming dart so powerful, so strong, that it takes out what God has brought into your life. You sit behind that protection. We also sit under, under the opposition of Satan. Question is, what are these flaming darts? What are these flaming darts? Well, simply put, it's the onslaught of accusations. Let me explain. Let's take a look at the playbook of the evil one. Moving over to Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we get a very clear playbook of the one who opposes God, God's creation, and God's people. Revelation 12, 9 and 10 says this in, in a very symbolic, highly like visualized fashion, but there are two key words in here that give us the playbook of this evil one. So Revelation 12, 9 and 10. And the great dragon was thrown down in the ancient, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Keyword number one, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the second key word, accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. All right, two key words here describing the playbook of the evil one, the one who opposes God, rejects God, rejects God in every possible way, wants to overthrow God, and therefore can't do that and must then t turn the attack onto God's people, described as deceiver and accuser. First of all, deceiver is just sort of the broad operational strategy in and throughout the world. It's just the thing that we've been talking a lot about in our series through the armor of God. Specifically, this is very similar to the schemes 
that are set up in the world to distract and discourage and dissuade us from following after Jesus. Again, Ephesians six eleven says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So he's scheming the world to deceive or distract or discourage us from treating Jesus as king and following after him as if he's worth it. That's one sort of broad operational strategy. But the flaming darts are not necessarily referring to the broad operational strategy, but to these very uh, targeted tactile barrages that come against believers in the form of accusation. At the very heart of who this evil one is, is that of an accuser. If you noticed in Revelation 12, 10, it's the accuser of our brothers and sisters in the faith. It is targeted barrage of accusation against and on believers. Not just a general scheme operating in the world. So this is what we're talking about. We see this also in the Old Testament, the very beginning of Job. We see this inner exchange between God and Satan. And Satan says these words in verse 11 of the opening chapter of Job, speaking to God, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. The aim, the intention here of Satan is to turn Job against God, that he is wanting to bring these accusations to God even in advance. And then in the prophets, in Zechariah 3.1, we see this, again, heightened, visualized, symbolic picture of what's going on to give us an idea of what is the evil one doing. In Zechariah 3.1, he says, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So you get that scene. This is like glorious scene. The angel of the Lord, which is sometimes often referring to God himself. It just depends on the context in the Old Testament. But here we have a high priest and the angel of the Lord. And and they're in that scene. And what's happening right next to him? Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Accusations. Operating with targeted attacks. And then we also know in 1 Peter 5.8. That your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So the greater intensity of these targeted attacks against believers is what the shield of faith has in mind to protect from. The goal of these flaming darts is to consume believers in the fires of condemnation. That's the goal. To consume believers and feeling condemned. Satan's hatred of God leads to his constant targeting of God's people. To browbeat God's people with all their sins, all their weaknesses. To constantly keep our records of wrong front and center. And the purpose is to break us, to make us slink away from God in shame, to make us ineffective in witnessing to the grace of God for sinners. The aim is 
to convince us that we are the worst. That you would hear, you are the worst so many times that you believe it. That you believe it. To make it all the more problematic, Satan has plenty of material with which to use and throw back at us. We struggle with sin. We struggle in our thought life. We struggle with our words. We struggle with our attitudes. We struggle with our motives. We struggle with our perceptions, our actions, all of it. So in so many ways, we feel that condemnation and that guilty verdict rising up in us. We start to believe that we really are the worst. I'm thankful for God's word because it certainly is an anchor when we are facing these kinds of feelings, especially as they begin to sort of bubble up like a, like a can of Coke in the hands of a toddler. Here you go, Daddy. No thanks. I'm just going to let that sit for about a week. <laughs> right? yeah. Romans 7. It's an incredible chapter. The second half of the chapter. The Apostle Paul is giving us a picture of what it's like to be a believer and to have the hearts that we have and the world that we live in. And he very... Honestly, and just autobiographically, gives us the picture of that struggle. I do not do the thing that I want to do. I do the thing that I hate. And every time I go to do the good, the hate is right there with me. And I'm glad it's in the Bible because it helps me feel like I'm not crazy. But he doesn't just simply leave it there, though I'm so grateful that it's there. You keep reading, though. Because you've got to get through all of Romans 7 in order to really feel the overwhelming hope of Romans 8.1. Because you know you give plenty of material to be used in the courtroom. You have provided plenty to be thrown back at you, heaped upon you as the fiery darts shot at you constantly. You know that. I don't have to convince you of it. And so you know that struggle. And then you get to Romans 8, 1. And it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice what it says. No condemnation. It doesn't say there's only some condemnation. Or there's a little bit. It says no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus took on all those darts. Jesus is our protection. Jesus is the powerful protection of God in the face of such accusations. What he extinguished on the cross, we bear it no more. He paid it in full. He fulfills what God said he would do in Jeremiah 31, 34. Jeremiah 31 34 says, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He forgives it by taking on the consequences of it all at the cross. And he remembers it no more because it's been paid in full. There's nothing left for you to face. So all that accusation 
that Satan wants to heap upon you, Christ has already dealt with it in full measure. Even the thoughts and the feelings and the attitudes and motives and the words and the actions that you have yet to do, but you know you're going to do at some point, and they're going to be wrong, and they're going to be sinful, he took all those on too. Not just the stuff in the past and not just the stuff in the present, but all their stuff in the future. So there isn't any room for Satan to accuse those who are in Christ. The condemnation is no more. Flaming darts have been quenched. God will remember our sin no more. Now you can see in greater measure the daily relevance of the shield of faith. The daily struggle that we have with sin and our feelings around it. The, the difficulties that are in our lives as a result of our sin or the sin of others. How necessary and crucial and life-giving the shield of faith becomes. Because it brings us into then the light of how this protection that we have from God is really ultimately victory that we have in Jesus. The shield of faith helps us to see that victory of Jesus. The overwhelming victory. Faith is not a generic motivational poster. Faith is specific. It's specifically set on God, and if it's set on God, then it's specifically set on Jesus. So much so that we could say that our faith rides or dies with Jesus. If Jesus is who he is, if he's done what he has said he has done, if he's doing what he says he is doing, and we have all that we need, we have victory now, currently, this very moment, even if we feel the barrage of flaming darts shot our way, shot at our hearts, shot at our minds, shot at us, to weaken us, to make us slink away from God, not draw near to him, not live for him, not make much of him, but to, to quietly sink into nothingness. That's what the, these flaming darts want us to, to be and to do. But yet, if we are in Christ, we have victory over them all. So Revelation 12, 9 and 10 gave us sort of the, the, the game plan or the strategy of the evil one in deceiving and accusing. But then verse 11 gives us incredible hope, gives us victory, gives us this idea of that what we have is overwhelmingly greater than all of the sum of these flaming darts shot our way. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they have conquered him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. They've conquered. Not just managed, not just held on, though it may feel that way and it may even look that way, but conquered nonetheless. Conquered because of Christ. Or as 1 John chapter 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And what is this victory? This victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's remarkable. It's not your strength of faith, but the strength of whom your faith is in. 
And he conquered. Therefore, you conquer. Now, you may not know your conquering victory until your days are done. Your days may be marked with hardship and difficulties and loss and pain. And, and maybe your days will be filled with joy and all kinds of restorative moments. Or maybe, my guess, your days will be filled with all of those things. Sometimes it's going to feel like that conquered victory is very far from you. So you may not know that victory in full measure until your faith moves to sight. When you see your risen, reigning, ruling king. But that is the victory that we have now. And so we take up our shield now while the barrage of flaming darts fly our way to accuse us of everything that we have ever done and said, thought and felt. Our faith rests in the victorious Christ who has conquered all of our enemies. And our faith rests in a powerful friend. Don't lose sight of that. Our faith rests in a powerful friend. Not only... Do we believe that God powerfully overcomes this world, overcomes Satan's schemes, overcomes our sin, overcomes death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? But we also believe that God is our friend. That he protects powerfully those whom he loves, those he calls friends. John 15, verses 13 through 14 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Jesus laid down his life to protect us. Laid it down to protect us. Took all the arrows to protect us. Why? Because we are his friend. So we need to take this up daily. We need to remind ourselves daily in all the circumstances of life, in every single one of them, that Jesus really truly is enough. That this faith points us forward to the God who promises such overwhelming, overcoming, victorious protection. Protection because of his power. Protection in the form of his presence. Protection because you are his people. And God doesn't fail at anything he does. So he will quench every one of those darts. Or as Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No accusation of Satan is greater than the grace of Jesus and Jesus has won for you victory over every accusatory dart set on fire and shot at your heart. Only look unto Jesus. See in him fullness of the power and protection of God. Rest in there daily. Delight in that which God has provided. Take up that shield. Encourage others to also get behind it no matter what the circumstances of life may be. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you protect your people.
through everything and anything, that there isn't actually any circumstance in life, either around us or in us, that are greater than the power that you have for us. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that and know that because the things in this life can be so overwhelming. Our hearts can be so wandering and wounded. And rather than seeing faith strengthen, we feel like fear is suffocating. And so I would pray that you would remind us again and again and again of the sufficiency of Jesus for us. That even if our faith might be weak and wobbly and threadbare, that it would be in Jesus and that would be enough. Spirit, would you strengthen us? Enable us with resolve to trust in all circumstances through this life. And may we, like that father, overwhelmed by the circumstances of his son, come before you and say, I believe, help my unbelief. And all these things, oh God, help us to see that you have overcome the schemes and the accusations of the evil one. May we rest there, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.